Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. On today's episode, our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, welcomes Tracy Bianchi back to the podcast. Tracy earned her MDiv from Denver Seminary, and she has served as a preacher, pastor, and ministry leader for over 15 years. She is the coordinator for the Center for Women in Leadership at Northern Seminary. In today's special New Year's episode, Tracy and Lynn discuss what happens next after Christmas, both in the biblical narrative and in our lives today. Tracy, it's so good to talk with you again, and uh, I'm just thrilled that we're able to talk about a subject that probably isn't talked about enough, and that is the time right after the holidays. I know for me, um, I mean, I don't decorate all that much, but taking down the decorations can kind of be sobering. I I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it is. I I find the season after Christmas to be a letdown in many ways. And and I think most of us who are cautious know better than to fully give ourselves to the pandemonium of, you know, an American Christmas, so to speak. And even when we find ourselves wise and thoughtful in that, uh, there's something Uh, just a bummer about taking down the tree or saying farewell to family or the the twinkle lights in the neighborhood one by one sort of get unplugged and there's a little bit of a of a sadness or a wondering what's next that that happens in that season after Christmas. Yeah yeah you and I were reflecting on on this and and thinking about uh, the story of the Magi uh, there in uh, Matthew chapter two, um, there's this big event. Uh, some really important people roll into town, <laughs> talk with the king in Jerusalem, King Herod, and then come on out to the little uh, town of Bethlehem, um, a smaller, smaller little space, and uh, and they these magi come to see. Uh, the uh, blessed family, Mary and Jesus and Joseph, and they've, uh, they honor them with incredible gifts. And I imagine all the neighbors are watching and uh, perhaps coming from neighboring areas. And this follows the grand announcement that Luke talks about with um, the angels singing on Jesus's uh, birth and it follows the wonderful announcements in the temple when they go to dedicate Jesus and Anna speaks and Simeon speaks and there we were just kind of reflecting on how Mary if I were Mary uh, I'd probably be feeling pretty happy pretty excited pretty um, well maybe not confident as a new mom (laughs) what do I do with this little baby here, but, um, but, but feeling like, yeah, I'm really, God's really doing great things right now, you know, and then, then the story takes a sharp turn down. 
Yeah, it's it, it is. It's all it's all the fanfare of uh, celebration and you know the, the the magi visit. And I I mean I think if Lynn, you can correct me because you're the expert, but I, I think it's like a thousand mile journey or something. Just, oh yeah. It, it's it's a. I mean this is. This is this is more than just your uncle popping by, you know. I mean, this is a significant moment in the, you know, the the heavens are declaring sort of this moment, and then, as a, as the scripture goes, uh, Mary and Joseph are warned um, that uh, the paranoia of King Herod is in full force, and because of his, um, I think he'd been in power probably. 30-ish years at this point in time and is paranoid, is afraid of losing his position and his leadership. And suddenly this child who was born a king, a blood king, is out there somewhere. And so on the heels of this beautiful moment, this angel warns Mary and Joseph and uh, they do not return home because what has happened at home is that Herod has slaughtered um, all of the babies. Um, and so what this means for Mary and Joseph, of course, as we know, is that Jesus is spared from this, but what a tragedy. I mean, these would have been the children of Mary's kindred friends, beloved community members. What a, what a weep, what a heartbreak, what a, what a moment of wailing and significant trauma. And um, for understandable reasons, when we show up to church on Christmas Eve. This isn't the story we send people home with that night. No, no. Uh, but this is what comes next. Right. And so how do we come out of the Christmas season with a sense of awareness about how the joy of Christmas meets the tragedy of this world that we share? Yes, yes. And the evil, the, yeah. the evil that's still exists even now, even after the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord. Nevertheless, his mission is still not complete in as much as his kingdom has not fully arrived. Yeah, and and so we, uh, for some of us at different times, when we think the new year is starting and the Christmas time is over, there's a, that we're, we're kind of more in that space of Mary and Joseph and the baby uh, fleeing at night to a new location to Egypt, where there was probably, you know, I, there were Jews who lived in Egypt. There was a large Jewish community there. So they probably weren't the only Jews in the town that they ended up living in for a little while. Nevertheless, it's, uh, it's, I can't believe that they weren't surprised at how things were going to happen. And they had to carry that weight of uh, pain. You, you, um, you know, you talk a little bit about this idea of trusting in community and how important community is. Where do you see that really uh, coming alive in this story and how important community is in this part of Mary and Joseph's story? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think we, we see it in a variety of ways. I mean, first of all, Mary and Joseph would have been part of the traumatized community and therefore carried that trauma as well. And so a, a, a sense of empathy that they would have had, a sense of terror. Um, I, I can imagine they were looking over their shoulders constantly, you know, um, and while again, you know, 
the child of Jesus didn't suffer the same fate, that it would have been a, a traumatizing community that had, you know, a traumatized community. So there's this, um, this, this sense of um, shared grief, um, you know, and I think, you know, many of us culturally today are, are sharing grief in a lot of ways, whether that's through COVID or through any of other grave atrocities that, you know, the, the slaughter of the innocents happens all yes. around the world to this very day, you know, this is not an isolated thing. So there's a, there's a power in a grieving um, community that's learned how to lament together. And uh, there's a, there's strength in that, uh, in that sorrow and that terror. And there's a, uh, there's a there's a power of the community that likely welcomed them somehow in Egypt, and uh, you know, like you said, there was probably a Jewish community there, and if not that, then there may have been some kind community that took to them as outsiders. And um, you know, raising a child in any generation is a daunting task, and to show up, you know, looking over your shoulder from a terrorized place with a baby in a new land where the customs are different, you know, and so somebody must have received them. Um, and they had been <laughs> on the run in so many ways, you know, so many parts of their narrative coming to this moment were, were fraught with a little bit of confusion and, and darkness in some ways. And so uh, the power of a new community to receive the, the traumatized outsider, which I think has so many implications today. And so, you know, here we are looking at a new um, a new year after Christmas, and maybe wondering, you know, what what is my communal experience of trauma, or what type of community can I create to welcome a traumatized person uh, into my space or my home or at my table or in my church? Or um, I think there's just so many different nuanced layers uh, to that experience that I think we can learn from. Yeah, coming out of Christmas. Yes, yes, I. I think in uh, in my own life, um, the the place where I have felt such strong community when I have faced like the sudden death of a loved one is a community that just didn't didn't have a lot of typical expectations for me. And what I mean by that is show up for Bible study and be basically cheerful and have prepared by reading the passage beforehand and, you know, having a solid prayer life. Uh, instead, they just uh, met me where I was and prayed on my behalf for me, you know, and, and just said, okay, where you are, I'm going to sit here with you. Maybe you have a story similar. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do. And I, I do remember, after the actual sudden loss of a loved one, um, I lost one of my best friends uh, shortly after she became a mom. She had just recently had her third child and, and suffered a very tragic passing. So, um, and I do remember, you know, as we all do in grief, there's those places you go where you just look at people and you're just like, stop talking. You know, <laughs> you, you don't know what you don't know. And and I didn't come here for you to cheer me up. I just came here because I I needed to be with people. And so, of course, we all have those experiences. But I, I've also had, uh, you know, just I had some meaningful uh, friendships at that time where they just sat down and looked at me and was like, nothing is expected of you. And uh, we don't have to talk about this or we can talk about this. We, you know, just just sit and be. And and um, and those are beautiful places. And I think the church, as much as people come to the church in moments of grief and trauma, I mean, we do the funerals, we do the memorials, we 
we do the grief counseling and whatnot. Uh, the church is often terrible at receiving <laughs> members of their own community who are going through trauma because we feel like we represent God. Therefore, we must bring joy and happiness to whatever this is. But I think the Christmas narrative just stares that whole thing in the face and says, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, even in the joy of the coming birth of the Messiah, tragedy was on its heels. And so let's be real about that. Together. That's right. That's right. And, and it's in being real, we can have hope, right? So there's fear, there's chaos, there's the unexpected blows where, yeah, you're just not, uh, it, it, it'll happen to somebody else, but surely not to me kind of, kind of thing. And, and um, yeah, or it does happen to somebody else, not to you, and you kind of have survival guilt. I mean, how, how do we wrestle with with those kind of emotions and try to maintain hope. Yeah, you know, and, and hope is 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 one of the beautiful um, the beautiful things we chase in Advent. And you know, I think I think the average person probably puts hope and luck sort of in the same category. Like, I hope I win this, or I hope I make that team, or I hope I get a parking spot at Christmas Eve at the mall, whatever it is. And you know, the reality is is hope. Uh, a biblical sense of hope is this sort of confident expectation that while I am looking around me at a landscape that says otherwise, I have a confident expectation that what the Lord said he would do, God will do. And so when everything else says otherwise, it's that sense of confident expectation. And, um, and, so, and so there's that hope that pulls us through tragedy and pulls us through even, as you said, these moments where, you know, I don't know, I wasn't in Mary's head and heart at this time, but I do wonder about that sort of sense of survivor guilt. You know, here she was holding her child while, while you know, the arms of her friends were empty. And, um, you know, anyone who's ever been through a mass tragedy uh, has, has that sort of moment. Did I do enough? You know, should I have gone back? Did we hear the angel wrong? Were we supposed to go back? Could we have saved them? You know, these sort of moments that you sort of replay when you've been through a significant tragedy and, and and pairing that experience with the reality of hope that um, you know taking the gift of life that you have received hoping for god's promises to make all things right at the end of time to, to come to pass and moving forward even through a, a mass tragedy or trauma event like that it's um, it's a tangled up mess of <laughs> of emotions we carry that this guilt and this hope this this trusting in God and community, yet this very real anger, how could you let this Lord happen? And, and this cacophony of things that happen to us and right again on the heels of Christmas <laughs> is yeah. this space. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, as I look at that story, even after, you know, they escape and they're in Egypt, um, the, they then are told by the, the angel, um, you can go back uh, to the land of Israel so you don't have to stay in Egypt. Oh, but by the way, you're actually not going back to Bethlehem. You're going to go up to Nazareth. You know, and I feel like um, that the care of God, and this is where our hope is, right? The care of God is so clear in, in directing Joseph and Mary uh, for their safety, but it's, it's not necessarily for their emotional to meet their emotional expectations, perhaps, right? So that it's um, it's care, but it's it's uh, it's care that's given 
in part of a, as part of a bigger plan that um, if, again, I imagine being in Mary and Joseph's shoes, sandals, <laughs> uh, none of us can see that big picture. And, and so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually going back to Bethlehem. Nope. I'm going to go up to Nazareth. Okay. You know, and so just that the hope in the midst of uh, chaos and fear and changed plans or my own conception of what I should do suddenly, nope, you're doing something else. I mean, all of that stuff, which is kind of what, what happens at least for me year in and year out, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, we, we, we start off the year with these confident expectations of what we think God is going to do. And then we, you know, it, it, in Mary and Joseph, like you said, the, the emotional pieces of the story are not unpacked for us in scripture, but that doesn't mean they weren't there. You know, and this is a time in history where if God said, here, not there, it, it could have meant there were people they would never see again. I mean, this wasn't text or call or get an Uber time, you know? So, you know, I, and, and the, the ache of, oh God, really? Cause we, I wanted to see ants, you know, whatever it might've been, that they carried um, and that that thread of hope, you know, even in these um, these hard moments, these changed plans, that confident expectation that God's path and God's journey for them is in this place and that we have to, you know, believe in that direction and hope in that direction. And, you know, like you said, we start out, we start out a year, or we flip the calendar to January and it's, all right, well, am I going to lose five pounds? What are we doing this year? Right. You know, but yeah. I mean, the reality is look, you know, at, at the end of 2020, everybody was like 2021, that's going to be, you know, what 2021 was the same, if not worse, right. This is the trajectory of human history. And so we have to learn uh, how to have that confident expectation, that hope that in the tragedy of this world, God is real. God is uh, journeying us. God is guiding our steps. Uh, moving us just as he did Mary and Joseph to that next place. And it's hard to get there sometimes. <laughs> very, yeah. very hard. Yeah. And as, as you're saying that we can reflect on the fact that Mary is also carrying God. So as God is direct through an angel is directing Joseph here, take your family here, take your family there. Mary has God in the person of Jesus Christ, her baby, in her arms. Um, how, do we, how do we meditate on that amazing, amazing reality as we think about the presence of God in the lives of Mary and Joseph? Yeah, such a, if we let ourselves go fully into that narrative, what a, what a significant thought that is. You know, we, we talk about, you know, ways through tragedies or ways into our new spaces or new years. And we say things in, in our Christian tradition, like practicing the presence of God, you know, and for many of us, that's okay, well, let's, let's get a quiet moment or, you know, let's, you know, wait till everybody leaves the house and lay on the floor and close our eyes and pray, whatever it is. Um, it's interesting to think about Mary's experience of practicing the presence of God. She held God in the form of Jesus in her arms. And, you know, we don't need to be a, a mother to understand that. We don't need to be female to understand that. 
she had the opportunity to practice the presence of God in a way, and, and Joseph too. I mean, he held that child. That was, you know, that was part of his role too. But I mean, can you imagine practicing that presence? And 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 without making it sound pejorative, because this is the God of the universe, but God saw fit to give a dependent physical presence to us. He needed to be held. He needed to be swaddled. He needed to be nursed. He needed to be carried. And, you know, and, and babies require constant attention. I mean, how much more would we know about the Lord? Again, I don't want to you know, mix this metaphor too much and make it clumsy, but like if we were to hold God in our arms, which we cannot ultimately do, I know that. But if God was laying in your lap, sleeping <laughs> as a baby, what great care we would make not to jostle him. <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, what a way to practice the presence um, in the form of an infant. And so, you know, you have at one and the same time, this story of great tragedy and loss, these children that have been slaughtered, murdered. And then you have in the middle of a tragedy, Mary holding the very presence of the Lord incarnate in her arms. Uh, there's a lot to learn <laughs> in that moment when we think on those things. Yes, yes. And and so as you, if we're to kind of sit for us for a little bit in this idea of practicing the presence of God, and we have that mental picture of Mary holding Jesus, that and we can unpack that a little bit and then maybe think about how Mary held uh, Jesus as he was taken off the cross. Um, but let's first think about as she's holding the, the baby Jesus, practicing that presence as she's carrying him as they flee to Egypt and then as they return and settle in Nazareth. What about her practicing God's presence or being in God's presence? Like what are some, maybe the, the ways we can model her disposition today in reflecting on when Jesus was an infant? Yeah, you know, I mean, if, if an infant uh, slows us down, you know, uh, I'm sure that they wanted to flee as quickly as they could. There is only so fast you can go. And when God, when the God of the universe decides it is time to stop for whatever reason, <laughs> they would have had to stop, you know? And so, yes, this is an infant form, but maybe, maybe, maybe this child needed a nap. There was, there might've been reasons. And, and, you know, anyone who has ever held a baby, when you are holding a baby, you cannot just get up and do whatever you want to do. You, you have to be thoughtful in your next move. And, and maybe you see your coffee cup that you left over there across the room and you think, I really want to get up and go over there, but I have this thing that I have to pay attention to and I cannot do, therefore, whatever I, I want to do. And so a child will slow you down in a beautiful way. And so I think if we just consider some of that for a moment, how fast should I move through this week, this meeting, this uh, how fast should I get from point A to point B? Um, how fast should I literally move across the room onto the next thing? Or should I sit for a minute and wonder, pray a little longer, consider a little more, read 
the next verse, the next chapter, when you were inclined to close the Bible quickly. I think just that sort of experience. I mean, maybe it's just something as simple as imagining you have a child in your lap. What can't you do? I think we always think about motion. What can I do, God? God, what can I do for you? What are you calling me to do? I think we don't always think about what, what can't I do? And there's a lot there. And that, that could be a simple tip that, that might be helpful. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And the, it, the holding the baby, at least I found when I'm holding the baby, I'm really focused on the baby. It's amazing to me how many expressions I can just stare minutes go by and I'm just staring at the, and I, I don't think I'm the only person, you know, it's like what, or when you're caring for a little baby. And, uh, I know for me, when, uh, Jim, my husband would come home. What'd you do today? And I think, I, I don't know that I could list all that much, but you know, the child's happy. The diaper's been changed. I, that's about it. <laughs> but it, you know, he would also ask, how many pictures did you take? He's the photographer, <laughs> not me in the family, you know, but I mean, that was sort of like, let's just, let's just take a bunch of photos. This is back in the day when, you know, you didn't have iPhones or anything like that. But you know, we want to, we want to just watch. We want to just look, we, we, in a sense, adore, right? We just look and adore and that's enough, you know, and the baby could be sleepy. Like they, they don't even show an awareness that we're adoring them and that's okay, but we're totally outside of ourselves and just thinking about this precious one. And so, yeah, slowing down and adoring uh, could be those things that Mary shows us and presumably Joseph, I can imagine him, you know, with maybe his uh, carpenter rough hands, gently holding his baby and, and looking and teaching him, you know, the kind of little baby talk that, that you do with, uh, with your, with your sons and daughters. Uh, yeah. Well, the, uh, as we mentioned with the tragedy, the horrific tragedy and evil that happens as part of the larger, uh, birth story of Jesus, we then go to the end of his life with the cross. And I wonder as Mary then holds Jesus, um, uh, touches his uh, broken dead body, what, what, as we think about that uh, image, can that help us at all practice the presence of God as we might be walking in this coming year through a through a hard tragedy or walking with someone who has experienced a really hard tragedy. Yeah. I mean, those are the, the grief filled, uh, you know, tender moments of this, this life we live. We, we live with bodies that will one day break. And uh, for most people, although not all, there are obviously gross tragedies. Most of us will thankfully not suffer the sort of violent death that Jesus suffered, but we will one day, you know, be laid into the arms, um, our limp bodies into the arms of, of someone who, who is saying goodbye to us or, or is loving us from this life into the arms of the Lord. And I think that there's that same presence. It just takes a different form, you know, and I wonder how many of the feelings that she had when she held that infant came back when she held the body of her son, you know, and, you know, looking maybe with a similar look, a different posture in her heart, of course, but there's, there's that same 
present. The body is limp, you know, like a, like a child when they fully fall asleep, they weigh like, and, and what a different sort of limp body, but yet, yet present to it nonetheless and present to, uh, present to and hoping through, you know, here, here's the hope, right? Did those things he said, I will come back again. You know, they start to hope in those things when they're faced with the reality of the disciples, his, his mom, Mary, everybody's faced with, do we hope in those words he gave us? And so then there's this new wave of hope that comes even in this tragedy. And so many of us will face uh, moments this year where we're holding something we loved or someone we loved and learning how to hope even in uh, that holding. And um, yeah, I, th I think it's very similar in a, in, a, in a strange way to the same sort of presence that she would have practiced the early days of his life. Yeah. And that word practice is probably a good one to, uh, to focus on as well. It's not, it, it, it's not a once and done kind of, I confess my belief in God and now everything is, will be just fine. I think that is an assumption sometimes Christians have. They're, they don't, uh, they haven't anticipated that things may involve suffering. Um, but the, the idea of a daily practicing, which is what you do, it's 24 hours duty <laughs> with an infant. Um, and with that, you do get practice. Uh, Mary uh, is also said to have pondered things in her heart throughout her life with Jesus. She ponders his teaching and often I think because she didn't expect it. It was the Magnificat does not anticipate the cross in, um, well, it does, it does in a way and in another way it doesn't. And, uh, and so she ponders she ponders things. Um, and that's a posture perhaps for all of us, no matter what the year brings, it's this idea of practicing and pondering each and every day, uh, a focus um, so that our minds are attuned to, to be able to follow after God, to hear what God says. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I love that you just said that because I used to wonder, and I still wonder, I should say, uh, what was it about Mary's practice and way of existing and being that had her receive the very physical presence of God in the first place? You know, she already had some practice in her life where the God of the universe could have picked anybody to do this through. And he said that one. I want that one. And, and he, you know, and what, what was already in play in her life? What practices did she already, you know, it wasn't fresh out of nowhere. There was already a practice in her life so she could receive and then continue. So it is like you said, it is, it is like, it is a daily routine of practicing right. that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Her, her daily obedience. Yes. That you see, even as she accepted the angel Gabriel's uh, invitation. Yeah. Well, we certainly hope for all of our listeners that they, um, we, well, let me say it this way. We don't wish on any of our listeners the kind of experience that Mary and Joseph faced in, in Bethlehem having to flee. 
or those who remained in Bethlehem and uh, had such tragedy hit their families. But we do recognize, and this is why we want to talk about it, that that is part of part of our time right now. This is part of the broken world. And uh, we want we want people to know there's hope. There's there's a community there. It, find a community if if you're in this spot and don't have a community, but also to maintain hope. Uh, and in, in that daily practicing the presence of God, God will be there and will show himself to you. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Tracy, so much for talking with us about the about the hard side of the end of Christmas and the start of a new year, but also the hopeful, the hopeful part of um, being on this journey with the Lord. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to be with you. Happy New Year, Alabaster Jar listeners. Thanks for joining us this week for our first episode of 2022. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to check out the description for more information. We are excited to bring you more insightful conversations this year, so please help us continue the work of the Alabaster Jar podcast by subscribing and sharing our episodes with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back next Tuesday with another brand new episode.